Hi, I'm Aldi, and welcome to Classic Film. When I mean classic, when I say classic film, I'm going to probably make it everything possible before, say, the 21st century. Uh, as for classics, well, we all have our individual tastes. I have a friend who likes a film that I particularly dislike. Uh, but if that's the film that you love, for you it's a classic film. And that's what classic film is. Now, you're unfortunate in some senses because you're going to be listening to what I think are classic films and you're going to be hearing my review of what I love, the films that I love. So stay with me, please. Bear with me. Uh, put in some suggestions because I'm going to give you uh, email uh, contact that you can talk to me about or suggest films for me to review but my first uh, classic films review uh, in the first 15 minutes are going to be in order Ordinary People which won the Academy Award uh, for Best Film and was the first directorial effort by Robert Redford the second will be uh, King Rat which is another classic film which probably if you've seen it you would have seen it in black and white uh, propelled George Siegel to fame. Fantastic film with a fantastic performance. And the last one is a Japanese film. Maybe not for everyone. Certainly a great film. And again, a first directorial effort from Takeshi Kitano called In His Native Homeland Beat, Taka Beat Takeshi because he was part of a famous Japanese comedy team. So I hope you enjoy the next 15 minutes. I'm always welcome feedback. Uh, I do feel, believe that these three films are classic films and please, as I said, let me know what you think are your classic films when I give you the email afterwards. Thank you. Almost 42 years ago, Robert Redford directed his first film, Ordinary People. In 1981, it won the Academy Award for Best Picture, Redford for Best Director, Timothy Hutton for Best Supporting Actor and as it was adapted from a novel, it could only be given a high honour to Alvin, Alvin Sargent for Best Adapted Screenplay. I love this film. It has a steady pace which would become a theme of so many Robert Redford directed films that would follow, coupled with the director's ability to cast actors who would not only suit their characters, but would add dimension. From M. Emmett Walsh as unnamed swimming coach to Mary Tyler Moore in the finest performance of her career as Beth Jarrett, the matriarch of the, matriarch of the family at the centre of the film. Briefly, and at the crux of ordinary people, is the, most, is the recent history concerning the drowning of Buck, the oldest boy of the Jarrett family. Survived by his younger brother, Conrad, at the film's opening, this fa the family is still grieving from Buck's passing over a year before. Beth and her husband Calvin have been married for what appears to have been at least 20 trouble-free years, but dealing with Buck's loss has placed an irreparable burden on their marriage. Beth has doted on her firstborn, and her traditional conservatism has crippled her ability to express emotion, to accept loss, and to adjust to life since his passing. As the film progresses, we learn that the younger brother, Buck, is trapped in survivor guilt, and has attempted a serious, a serious suicide, vertical wrist cuts, in the past year. Patriarch of the family, Calvin, is desperately and patiently trying to steer through the troubled waters and is futilely struggling to hold his remaining nuclear family together. As Calvin Jarrett, 
Sutherland's performance is subdued and controlled. Timothy Hutton's Conrad is the opposite. Confused and full of adolescent angst, he is the one who externalises the family's grief in the starkest way. Although the film begins after his release from psychiatric treatment in a hospital, Conrad is still haunted by the death of Buck, his older brother, and his agreeing to attend Berger, the psychiatrist's office, is an, is an acknowledgement of this. Hirsch's Berger attests to the engrossing performance of an actor never really challenged by his lead performance in the late 70s sitcom, Taxi, but here given the opportunity to showcase much more. Finally, mention needs to, be, needs to be made of the actor Dina Manhoff. Her character of Karen is also deeply troubled. And in her one and only scene, she conveys fragility, false confidence and denial, apparently convincing a deeply troubled Conrad. A final word about ordinary people? Brilliant. Brian Forbes's King Rat is an absorbing exploration of a number of rather ugly characters surviving in a prison camp in Japan during the Second World War. Changi, 1945. They did not live in Changi. They existed. So we are informed by our on-screen words that open the film. George Siegel is the king, a successful black marketer in a torture camp which doubles as a POW incarceration facility. His success as human rodent allows him to be fawned on by the inmates. Those in his barracks press his clothes, manicure him and ensure that he appears as a gent among the decrepit, starving inmates of the camp. The king is both envied and despised. Barnett Guffey, nominated at the Academy Awards for his work as cinematographer, is expert in using close-ups sensitively and emphasising through the sweat on the characters' faces and their looks of desperation what the camp reduces the Allied soldiers to. The explanation for the film's title and the Siegel character from King to King Rat does not occur until the middle of the film, as Forbes's superb direction indulges in a slow but forceful build-up. The film has a stellar cast, some who, like John Mills, were already well established, among some, like James Donald, who was to reprise a role as camp doctor that he established less than a decade before in Bridge on the River Clyde, as well as some who were to be well known in later years of their careers, like Leonard Rossiter and John Standing. Particularly of note in the cast are the superb Tom Courtney as the irritating officious Lieutenant Gray, Patrick O'Neill's Max, and James Fox as Marlowe. Of course, King Rat is very definitely George Siegel's film. No matter how much we despise what is behind his sleazy charm, we feel drawn to him. Courtney's Grey is impervious to the King's charm, but not his allure, as Marlowe reveals at the film's end when he questions Grey. It wouldn't have occurred to you, would it, Grey, that you are only alive because of what he gave you? Grey replies, what are you talking about? I never took anything from him. He never gave me anything. Marlowe's reply is telling. It is not only in a POW camp that such realities operate. He responds, only hate, Gray. 
only hate. Filmed in black and white, King Rat is a true film classic. Violent Cop. At the film's beginning, an old itinerant guy with buck teeth and glasses like the basis of Coke bottles is harassed, knocked to the ground and injured by a group of thuggish teenagers looking for amusement through random violence. Dosako Kume's slow, deliberate music and theme dominate Violent Cop. Not so much haunting as relentless, usually accompanying the on-screen performance of Takeshi Kitano. Builders beat Takeshi, recoiling his, his earlier days as a partner in a famous Japanese comedy duo. Violent Cop was Kitani's first effort as a director, Kitano, I am sorry, and he co-wrote the screenplay along with Hisashi Nozawa. Released in 1989, it is now a classic film. From the film's early scenes, we see Kitano Zazuma as a slightly tired cop, contemptuous of authority as he sees the force that he works on as ineffectual and self-serving. He's not perfect himself, displaying a gambling problem, but we develop sympathy for him early. He lives with his intellectually disabled sister, Akari, of whom he is very protective. Tenderness is married with violence in this film, a motive explored even more effectively in one of Kitano's later films, Hanabi, loosely translated in English as fireworks. Gangland crime and the Yakuza also figure in the director's later films, as in this one. A major development in the film occurs when Asuma's friend, Oaki, is found hanging from a bridge. Asuma refuses to believe the verdict of suicide. When having proof that Oaki was murdered, Asuma goes over the edge. Being on a knife point through much of the film, encountering Oaki's murder, murderer leads him down an almost Shakespearean road to avenge him and all the corruption he has witnessed. Dismissed from the force, he has little left to lose. The film has a significant number of pauses for impact. Although depicting a violent and seedy underworld, it is not a film that glorifies guns and death. It is rather a tapestry which paints a world few would like to inhabit. Towards the film's end, close-ups of Katano's Atsuma show a face that portrays what is now a hollow shell beneath it. Particularly notable in the cast is Maiko Kawakumi, who plays Akura Akari, Asuma's troubled sister, and Hakuru as the hitman Kyohoro. Years later, Katano was to use his fine actor again in Hanabi, one of the director's most famous films. I have the movie on DVD and must add that particularly during the first 30 minutes or so of the film, not all of the Japanese is subtitled. So sometimes there is guesswork about the nuances of the dialogue. The film is well worth the effort, however. An important dialogue is subtitled in English. In Australia, Violent Cop is available on DVD and Blu-ray, and in the US also on Amazon Prime. As a final word, Netflix has a film available called Asakusa Kid, which may interest fans of Beat Takeshi, as it attempts to explore the actor-director's early years working with Fukami of As Asukasa, where he got the name of Beat Takeshi, as the offsider in the comedy duo To Beat. I've not yet seen that biopic, so no comment on it as yet, but 
full praise to Takeshi Kitano's first film directing role, or film directing, I suppose, beginning of his vacation as a director in Violent Cop. So there we have it, my introduction to three films that I consider to be classics. Uh, as an Australian, I feel myself uniquely uh, qualified to look at classic Australian film because, after all, one of the first films ever made was an Australian film, The Story of the Kelly Gang, back in 1906. And people often think that Hollywood started film. They didn't start film. In fact, the two countries that were the great film originators were Australia with uh, this film, I believe it was Salvation Army sponsored, and the Lumiere brothers in France. So stay, stick with me. I really uh, urge you to give me suggestions. You can contact me on, my name is Aldi, you can find me, you can Google me. On next next uh, podcast, I'll definitely give you my email address and I'll probably even talk to you about how you can contact me on Twitter and social media and other sorts of things like that. Uh, but classic film, difficult to define. Some people would think that only film noir is, is in their repertoire of classic films. And we, we look at some great film noir films like The Maltese Falcon with uh, Humphrey Bogart, Mary Astor, Sidney Green Street and Peter Lorre. We look at things like Double Indemnity with Fred McMurray, uh, Edward G. Robinson, etc. We look at some of those great film noir classics, uh, some of those great film noir actors of the time, the, the John Garfields with The Postman Always Rings Twice. Uh, and we think that they're classic films, and they are classic films, there's no dispute. Others would go back to the solid era. Some would love Chaplin. Some would even go further back and go to Max Sennett and the sorts of the Keystone Cops and that era. Classic film is not an easy thing to define, and I don't attempt to define it. I know of people and in some of the Facebook groups who think that Casablanca, uh, the Michael Curtiz film, is the greatest film ever made and the greatest classic film ever made. There are others who would embrace Gone with the Wind with its four directors over a period of time. Classic film is basically, I believe, what we consider to be a classic and that film which we can defend as something other than, oh, I like it. So tell me why the plot's great. Tell me why the cinematography's great. Tell me why the directorial uh, aspects are great. Tell me why the script's great. Tell me something about it that is wonderful, that contributes to bringing it into that pantheon of classical film. If you can do that, then I'm quite prepared to entertain and do my best to source whatever film you want to suggest as a classic film. I want to give my thanks, and I'm not doing this as an advertising thing, but I do use uh, Canopy, uh, Beamer Film, Netflix, Amazon Prime, Stan, and basically whatever I can get my hands on, like BritBox, etc., to give me and to expose film and the film world to me. So thanks very much for listening. I hope you continue to listen. This is Classic Film in 15 Minutes with LD, or 15 Minutes or More. <laughs>